Welcome back, fans. It's official. We're skipping episode six. I lost my computer. I've been training a lot. And I just lost track of this. Episode six, I'd already written about half of it. And I basically just talked about the NBA Finals. Broke it down. Broke down some of the arguments I was listening to. And now that it's been like a few weeks, I said, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. Maybe I'll finish it release it later. We'll see what happens with that. So now we're at episode 7. We're just going to keep counting. Also, heads up, I'm trying to get a new logo. I'm trying to get some more style. And from that, just because, you know, I'm at a new location now. I feel like I should do something new. So now, it's 8.46, 8.47 p.m. in Bradenton, Florida at IMG Academy. And it's episode 7 of Basketball Talk with John Sock. Big things have been happening in the NBA recently. Let's recap everything I can think of off the top of my head. That's worth talking about. Paul George for Victor Oladipo and Dementis Sabonis. This is huge. Absolutely huge. People are saying, why? Agents are laughing. Executives are baffled. Danny Ainge looks like a buffoon. But why? Why Indiana did it? It's pretty crazy, but could pay off. Both Oladipo and Sabonis are fantastic prospects who have shown that they are not going to be total duds. Any pick has the complete has the potential to completely flop, and these guys have shown that they are not going to completely flop. Boston apparently offered a better deal, but they were forcing the Pacers to wait until after they signed Hayward. That's risky because if the Celtics don't sign Hayward and Hayward takes a long time to decide his future, they could be stuck without any trades as nice as this one because teams have signed players, financials have gone crazy, you know, that kind of stuff. Also, Victor Oladipo played at IU. And his homecoming could help keep butts in the seats, which is really, really huge for the GM's job, almost as much as winning. But I still maintain they should have traded D'Angelo, should have traded Paul George for D'Angelo and Mozgov. But too little, too late. Moving on. Why the Thunder do it? Really? Why not? <laughs> like, Westbrook's motto, why not? Paul George is an all-star and much better than Sabonis and Oladipo are. They save $4 million in cash space in this trade, and even if Paul George walks, they dumped that atrocious Oladipo contract. They'll have more money for the future and can accomplish more things. Next thing, Jimmy Butler in number 16 for Dunn Levine in number 7. This is a pretty obvious trade for the T-Wolves, so I'm not even going to explain it. It's a win-now move where they still get to keep a first-round pick. you got to take that. For Chicago, this deal went from all right to bad by losing number 16. Dunn, Levine, and Markkanen have a lot of potential that could help the Bulls in the future. Unfortunately, Garapax has been on a really bad run. He, uh, he's decided that they're going to start trading for youth, building a sort of youth movement, and then gives up a pick that I feel, a lot of Twitter feels, a lot of Reddit feels, he didn't need to give up. He could have stole, stood his ground and said, no, we won't give you number 16. We'll give you Myrotic, we'll give you this guy, we'll give you that guy. We're not giving you number 16. Number 16 is ours and we are keeping him. But he didn't do that. He lost number 16. Then, he traded their second round pick for cash. For cash. You're trying to build a youth movement. You said it. You're trying to build a youth movement. And you're trading second round picks for cash. That's craziness. You trade second round picks for cash, 
if you how already have a full roster, if there are no prospects you actually like, if, you know, if you're not trying to build youth, if you're in a win-now mode, you don't take second-round picks. You're not in a win-now mode, you take second-round picks, you see if you can strike a gem. If you're going to trade a second-round pick, you don't trade him for cash. And finally, how don't they cash in on Rondo's unguaranteed contract? Like... Like, how don't you cash in on that? Especially when the Rockets are buying them, like, hotcakes. I think the... I think the... I think the Rockets have traded for four different players with unguaranteed contracts to try and make some big blockbuster trades, like the one for Chris Paul. Rondo's contract would have been perfect. Perfect for these kind of trades. But... Bulls decided not to get involved. Bulls were acting like they were going to keep Rondo and then ditched him at the last second. There was a three-day window between... There was a few-day window between when Butler was traded and when Rondo had to be... had to have his option picked up. Not a good... I just think that they should have had more foresight with that, you know? If you know you're trading Jimmy, put, Ruby, put Rondo on the market. Someone will take his unguaranteed money. Someone wants to match a contract and have the other team be able to walk away with their cap space. Someone... I digress. This one really made me a little angry. Not angry, just like... Made me hit my head. Next one. Chris Paul for Sam Decker, Montrezl Harrell, Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, and a 2018 first-round pick from the Rockets, and a few other unguaranteed contracts to match salary. Hi, Rondo, you would fit well here. Whatever, moving on. This is the most even deal I've seen recently. Chris Paul was going to walk for nothing. Then agreed to opt in to be traded to the Rockets. It's a win-win-win. Chris Paul gets more money in the long run. The Clips get new prospects to make up for the loss of Chris Paul. And the Rockets get their man and his bird rights. So they can now go over the cap to sign him next year. Next up, Rubio to the Jazz. For Oklahoma City's first rounder next year. Something crazy I was reading about this. Ricky Rubio is 26. He's been playing basketball professionally for 12 years now. He was in the 2008 Olympics. Yeah. He's been here for a while. When you're trading for Rubio, it's like you're trading for a veteran. Even though he's still improving his game. Which is just, it's kind of crazy to me that he only went for one mid-first-rounder at that. I mean, I don't expect him to be worth a lottery pick, but... Actually, now that I'm saying this, OKC traded for Paul George after. That pick could have been a 15 range, which seems about right. Whatever. Moving on. What this trade signifies for the Jazz is that George Hill is gone. What this signifies for Minnesota is that they're getting a new point guard. For the Jazz... This isn't a good deal to be made. Not in terms of actually getting Rubio. Actually getting Rubio is fantastic. The deal in a vacuum is fantastic for the Jazz. Get a great player for very cheap. But life isn't a vacuum. Rubio coming in means George Hill is out. Literally a few hours before this trade was announced, Gordon Hayward said that he would have preferred to come back to the Jazz if they had George Hill, whom now they don't. 
I don't know if this will play a big part in it, but if we see Hayward on the Heat or the Boston Celtics or anywhere else, maybe this will be one of the straws that broke the camel's back and caused him to leave. Who knows? For Minnesota, this was really just about cap space. They needed to dump Rubio's salary to sign a new point guard for their new super lineup of Butler, Towns, and Wiggins. And that point guard is Jeff Teague on a $57 million three-year deal, working out to about $19 million a year. I'm just going to say it was definitely collusion. Before the free agency even started, the Rubio trade happened, and at midnight, Jeff Teague's deal was announced. There was a little bit of an under-the-table handshake there, but... I don't care. Collusion is fine to an extent. I'm fine with it. I'm not going to be... I'm not someone who cares. Don't get me wrong. I just felt like it was worth mentioning. Teague. Teague is going to be different than Rubio. Obviously. Teague is a much better scorer, shooter. Um, and I think that makes him a better offensive player to an extent. But his defense is not as good as Rubio's. And his passing skills are nowhere near as good as Rubio's. But I guess this lineup wants to have... Butler, Towns, and Wiggins holding the ball a lot more than Rubio holding the ball. So, allowing Jeff Teague to come in, get a few touches on his own, play some off-ball, play some on-ball, that's, that's better for what this lineup is trying to accomplish. Teague better not be used to getting those all-star nods, though. He's not getting any of those in the West with all these all-stars. Now Paul George, now Jimmy Butler. Who's going to play Who's gonna play for the Eastern, all, all, Eastern All-Stars team? Like... They're gonna have it all. Like, who's gonna be the snub? Who's gonna be a snub on the Eastern all on the Eastern All Star team? Chris Middleton. <laughs> who's gonna be a snub? Who's gonna be a snub? Um, Serge Ibaka. I don't know. Craziness. On to the next one: Livingston, David West, and Steph stay in the Golden State. Durant says he will sign there once everyone else is taken care of. And no teams are calling him because he's serious about that. I'm pretty sure Wadge tweeted that out. So don't go debate. You don't need to debate about, oh, he's leaving. He's not leaving. Pretty much everyone knows he's coming back. All that's left is for Iggy return, to return. And one of the greatest teams in any NBA history will be able to roll it back for a second season. And I am so excited for that. I thought watching them play this year was beautiful. If I get to watch them and get all together again next year... I'm going to feel so lucky. I just enjoy watching beautiful basketball like that. So many people so many people are hating on Durant coming. But just sit down and watch the game without, you know, any prior notions, you know, oh, I hate the Warriors notions like that. Just watch the game for basketball and watch how beautifully they play it. Watch how beautifully they move the ball. Watch how unselfish they are. They play basketball pretty much perfectly. And that's amazing to me still. I watch it and it's still, um, you know, it's just, it's amazing. I loved watching those finals, those last few finals games where they were tight games and you could see the, all the ways that the Warriors were passing. In episode six, that won't air for a little while at least, I raved and raved and raved about how amazing the ball movement was. For good reason. I mean, you watch that, it's, it's beautiful. Like, from a pure basketball perspective, it's beautiful. Next, J.J. Redick signs for a rid ridiculous $23 million one-year deal with the Sixers. 
Amir Johnson signs an $11 million one-year deal with the Sixers, and the Sixers still have $16 million available. Process me up, man. This is ridiculous. J.J. Redick is taking a little bit of a bet on himself right here. $23 million for one year. He's hoping he probably could have gotten a four-year, 46-type type of deal, a three-year, 42-type of deal, three-year, 38-type of deal. I don't know. Something in that range from one of these teams. And instead, he's betting on himself. He's saying, I'll have one good season next to a bunch of these young guys, be able to mentor them and show everyone what I'm made of for one more season. Then next year, I'll get another big contract or a big enough contract that I'm not losing money in the long run. I respect that. I respect that a lot. A lot of guys don't have don't have the cojones to go out and bet on themselves like that. I mean, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler bet on himself like that once. Uh, KJ McDaniels bet on himself like that. He's the most... KJ McDaniels is the, the second guy I go to. I used to go to Jimmy Butler first, but now I can't even remember what it was that Jimmy Butler bet on himself for. But KJ McDaniels bet on himself. He said, yeah, take me in the second round. Give me a one-year deal, though. Everyone, Sixers were like, okay, give him a one-year deal. Balled out. Balled out, played amazing, signed a four-year deal the next year for, I think, $12 million, $13 million. Sure, guys, his option didn't get picked up by the Nets, but he still made a lot of money for himself. He played really well, and yeah, he made money. It's betting on yourself can do. He could have tanked. He could have been really bad. He could have never gotten an option to shine in Philadelphia, been cut on that two, on that one-year uh, second option deal, and never made it in the league. Instead, he took that risk. Now, J.J. Redick doing the same thing, taking a risk on himself, hoping he doesn't get hurt, hoping that... He plays well enough to get a big contract. End of the day, I think you got to respect that a lot. All right, basketball break. When I was writing this, I just finished listening to 444 by Jay-Z. I didn't enjoy it, honestly. I didn't enjoy it that much. There were times where it sounded like it was elevator music. I had some good songs here or there. I really liked that Kill Jay-Z Jay at the start. But... The whole album just seemed so mediocre to me, and I was really hoping this one would be good. But Jay's getting up there in age, you know? Can't blame him. He doesn't have the same, you know, everything going on. He's not the same old Jay-Z anymore. He's got life to actually handle. No longer gets to just have fun. You know, do stuff that inspires music just as much. Whatever, basketball break over. Nene Hilario. More like Nene Hilari Nope. Yeah, I was really enjoying all the puns when I was writing this. He was going to ink a $14.3 million four-year contract or something similar to that. But the new CBA has a rule where if you're over 38 million over thirty-eight years old by the end of the contract, your contract can't be worth more than $8 million. I believe it might have it might be a percentage and that percentage is only a million dollars for him. I cannot remember. Like you don't know the legal language off by heart and I forgot to look it up. I meant to. This is annoying, especially because this contract would end when Nene is 38 years old and 18 days old. 18 days is the difference between him getting a great contract and him having some issues. I think the CBA should have had a 30-day uh leeway for all these age type complications but 
whatever. Now they're at a standstill. They're trying to find a new deal that works as he re-enters free agency. I'd expect a 10 million two, 8 million two type deal for him. Probably still with the Rockets, and then afterwards signing another deal. Probably another 8 for 2 type deal, 6 for 2 type deal. Next. D'Angelo and Mozgov for Brooke Lopez and the number 27th overall pick. Which the Lakers then flipped their number 28 for numbers 30 and 42. I'm including the second trade because it could have been either number 27 or 28 and it wouldn't have changed pretty much anything at all. This was insane when it went down. I remember I was told literally right before I went onto the court, and I just did not believe it. I had to run. Our game was in a basement. I didn't have Wi-Fi. It wasn't a basement. It was, I was underground. I had to run up, get Wi-Fi, with like five minutes before the game started, just to check and confirm for myself. It was insane. I was just shook. I was shook. I didn't know what to think. It took me a few days to really sit back and understand everything that happened. I think it was the right move for both, for pretty much everyone involved. Lakers have to get rid of that Mozgov contract. Honestly, I think they need to get rid of Deng more, but they got rid of Mozgov. They get an all-star center who will probably play very well with Lonzo Ball. They got two draft picks out of it, and they'll have cap space for when Paul George becomes a free agent, and they'll have Brooke Lopez's bird rights. Also, apparently D'Angelo wasn't a very good leader, and he had a bad knee injury. One example that was brought up to me was his game winner in the Summer League. First thing he does is not dap up his teammates on the court, but dap up Jordan Clarkson. Fair, he's on the team. Then dap up his boys, and then dap up his teammates. I still need to double check the footage on that. That's just what I heard. But if he did, that's kind of not cool. You got to dap up your team first. You got to respect your boys first, the guys on the court. Then you get the guys on the bench and your coach. Then you get your boys. You get your boys last. Other than that, I hear he wasn't a great worker. He wasn't a hard enough worker. He was too obsessed with the party life. And, yeah. They say move him to Brooklyn. Let him get a fresh start. I think it'll be good for him, honestly. Honestly, I think even if that... if I don't know if these reports were true or not, but I think moving him to Brooklyn will help him if these reports were true. If they weren't, that kind of sucks. But if they are true, he's going to he's gonna be, you know, get a big wake-up call. It's time to take it seriously. Time to go harder. Time to work harder than everyone else. Time to become better than Devin Booker. Yeah. Oh, and Nets got great player. And Nets can easily absorb Bosgoff's contract. Yeah. Next one, also a crazy, crazy trade. Literally happened the same day as the other one. Dwight Howard and number 31. For Miles Plumley, not Mason, not the good one who was on the who was on the Trailblazers and then got traded to the Nuggets. Miles Plumley, Marco Bellinelli, and number forty-one. This trade was crazy to me. Dwight was worth so little. Could someone like the Celtics not pawn off a late first for him? I figure he fit their defensive scheme well. I mean, they made Jaron Sullinger a top-five defensive center by pretty much every defensive metric at the time. What could they do with Dwight? Whatever. Moving on. Charlotte did this because they get to dump Miles Plumlee's trash contract and move up 10 spots and get Dwight Howard. Like, this is another one of those trades where it's like, why explain why Charlotte has to do it? But I did. Atlanta does it because apparently they couldn't get a better offer. 
and Atlanta seems to be moving into tank mode now. And this plus not going super hard after Millsap are two telltale signs of this. Some not bright days are ahead for Atlanta, which I mean makes sense. They haven't really been that amazing, except for that one season where they had that breakout season with all that team basketball with T, Corver, Damari Carroll, Paul Millsap, Al Horford. But they just weren't built for playoffs. And they brought in Dwight Howard to see if they could be built for playoffs. And they still weren't ready for the playoffs. They said, let's, let's try this one more time. Let's re-roll. You know, let's try and get some big, some nice picks. Let's get Doncic. Let's get Porter. Let's get Bomb, uh, Mobamba. Let's get, oh, I can't I can't remember that third, the other guy, the other top pick. But it looks like there's going to be four really good guys in this draft. And they're trying to get one. That's fair. I think it would be good. I think they needed a re- to restart after how mediocre they've been for the last 10 years. And now, final point. Michael Carter-Williams to the Hornets for $2.7 million over one year. This deal doesn't seem like much. You know, I didn't talk about other small deals like Langston Galloway's, like, you know, like many other people. But this deal I'm talking about because it's almost the same deal Jeremy Lin got from the Hornets when he improved to almost be sixth man of the year one year. Then, afterwards, you got a fat paycheck from Brooklyn. Walk, watch out for MCW as breakout player of the year or MIP or whatever. Charlotte Hornets know what to do, I hope. All right. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure coming back on the air. Um, yeah. Thanks. You know, thanks to... Noah Young, Sneezy Snyderman, for having me on CJRU recent a few times now. I uh, hope you guys can catch me on that. Yeah, good night, everybody.